Let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs this morning as we continue our series considering the themes of the book of Proverbs that the sage covers in chapters 10 through 31. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. That'll be the text that we jump off from this morning. If you don't have a Bible with, this, with you this morning, there should be a blue hardback copy in a seat rack near you, and you'll find your uh, text in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. I left the page number blank because I didn't look it up, but it's in Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7, 8 through 9, the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and it does exist in one of the blue hardback Bibles. I just don't know what page it's on right now. But in recent weeks, we have been considering what the Lord teaches us about heart wisdom, word wisdom, relationship, and family wisdom. And today, we come to the joyful and exciting arena of money. (laughs) To many gospel preachers, preaching about money sounds as enticing as a Novocaine-less root canal. But the Bible does speak much about our relationship to money. In fact, God does not provide us with a negative view of money or wealth, but it does often speak of the dangers of our hearts becoming captivated by wealth. Like many of God's gifts to us, we are prone to make the gift of God the object of our worship so that we end up spending our every effort to get more of what we crave. What is good becomes deadly when our heart seeks life from a lifeless idol. Money and the pursuit of wealth can quickly become the idol that we will sacrifice our very lives to. Giving our time, energy, and effort to the increase of material gain. So how should we think about living with wisdom when it comes to our finances? How would Jesus lead us to think of the material blessings he gives us? Well, I think the prayer of the sage in Proverbs 37 through 9 is a good place for us to begin our time this morning. So let's read together. The sage prays, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if your ears are beginning to pick up the familiar notes from the music of Proverbs, you probably recognize the sound of life wisdom flowing from heart wisdom. Perhaps you picked up that the prayer of the sage is a practical request of God, but rooted in a self-awareness of the allure of wealth and the temptations that come with poverty. You see, by now, we are well-trained to understand that wisdom and folly begin not with our hands, but with our hearts. But what begins in our hearts inevitably comes out through our actions. 
So as we think about our relationship to wealth and finance, we do well to understand that the battle to have wisdom with your finances is fought first in your heart long before it ever gets to your checkbook. And this is where God, this is where we begin to understand how to have wisdom with our money in the first big idea I want you to lay hold of today is that God entrusts us with the money that we have. God entrusts us with the money we have. Think about the prayer that we just read. This prayer is a recognition of the sage that, the, that God is the source of both poverty or riches. Now, the Proverbs has much to say about practical means of gaining wealth or falling into poverty, yet the, to the one who fears the Lord, there is a trust in God. Whatever he gives will be the amount that we need to honor him with our lives. And this short prayer recognizes the temptations that so quickly surround money, both the result of being consumed by it. The sage prayed that the Lord would not give him riches because then he knows he would be tempted to forget God. And that would be a trap for his heart. Why is that? Because, friends, the world is full of self-made men and women who have built empires of financial wealth with little thought of God and no desire to honor Him. Wealth tempts that wealth and money tempt us to think we are self-made, that our money and our financial position is the result of our own ingenuity, skills, smarts, and talents, and not the provision of God. But who gives us the intellect? Who gives us the energy? Who gives us even the life and breath we have to accumulate wealth? Is it not the Lord? The sage prays for less than riches because he knows what lives in his heart. There is a fool there who could be convinced that he did it all on his own. Yet the other petition is equally informative to us. The sage also prays that the Lord would not give him poverty. Why? Because he wants to live comfortably or have a really good financial portfolio? No. His prayer is that the Lord would not give him poverty because he doesn't want to be tempted to break the commands of God. Because he knows that if he falls into poverty, there's another equal temptation to deny God by trying to take what is not his and not trusting the Lord to provide. This is where the the, the Proverbs just cut through the fog of our obsession with money and deals with the tendencies of our hearts. We are prone not to fear God, but to forget Him. And that forgetfulness is a danger to those who are on either spectrum of the money scale. In our finances, we do well to pray that the Lord would give us what He sees fit and that with our financial decisions, we would leverage money to demonstrate our faith and trust in Him. Now, here's the deal. My guess is this, this is my guess. When I mention the wealthy or the poor, you are not thinking of yourself, but someone else. Few of us would readily admit that we are wealthy, that we have riches. 
all while living in one of the most expensive areas in one of the richest countries in the world. We all have this sliding scale in us. We aren't wealthy because there's someone who makes way more than we do. Even in our neighborhood or in our office, in our company, there are always celebrities and pro athletes who have opulent homes and many cars. There are dot-com millionaires and billionaires whose lives are filled with the excesses of life and pleasure. And we aren't wealthy because we're not them. And yet, if a family from Lagos, Nigeria were to come from their one-room home to our homes, they would think us lavishly wealthy. If a farmer from Cambodia were to enter our home with not one, but two, three, or four bathrooms, they'd be shocked by our riches. The sliding scale is an error that cuts. It cuts two ways. First, we forget God by thinking he hasn't given us the wealth. Or we forget God by acting, acting like we don't actually have all the things that he's given us. Both are dangerous. Both are sinful. Few of us would claim to be impoverished, though. We don't think we're wealthy, but we wouldn't be so bold as to assume we are impoverished, especially as we are aware of scenes from around the world of those who do suffer in abject poverty. Often we look away with a silent thought, thank you, God, that's not me. You see, being wise with money and resources begins with an understanding that money is given to us by God and money does not define our worth. That's the second big idea from Proverbs I want for you to grasp this morning. Money is a tool for you to use, not a measurement of your value. Money is a tool for you to use, not a measure of your value. It shouldn't be lost on us that if we want to find out or if we're curious about someone's financial standing, I wonder if you've ever considered how the question is framed. What is Elon Musk's net what? Worth. The question is framed in worth. Who do we think we are that we can measure someone's worth by the possession of their money. And yet we do. It's the air we breathe, the culture in which we live. Yet I want you to hear some really great news this morning. In the sight of the one true God, your value has nothing to do with what's in your bank account today. It's not even what you will earn through all of your life or your earning potential. Your value is not caught up in this. Listen to Proverbs 22 two. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The plain reality is this. The rich or poor are identically made in the image of God. And that places a value on every human that does not connect to their wealth or poverty. It connects in who they reflect the one who made them. Your financial stay account is not taken into account when God looks at you. He's not disgusted by your lack of earning potential or impressed by your wise investments. In fact, the, the sage warns that, with a harsh, that harsh thoughts or words towards people who are less than us and poor or less, less, less wealthy than we are, 
is sinful and it's an affront against God. Listen to Proverbs 17:5. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. You see, friends, rooting our value in the fact that we are made in the very image of God keeps us believing, keeps us from believing that God loves us more when we have much or less when we have little. The love of God is not based on such earthly means. The love of God, the love God has for his people is steadfast. It's eternal. It's covenant love. This is the heart-satisfying truth of your value when the world looks at you based only on the dollars that you do or do not have. Praise God, he does not look at us like that. But we are prone to becoming foolish when we believe our worth is actually attached to what we own. Which, beloved, let's be honest, Ownership is an illusion. Everything you own will pass to someone else. Because each of us will die, and we will not take one penny with us when we leave this life. It will all go to someone else. You see, it's our upside-down view of worth that provides the fertile soil for greed and avarice. Because if we are only what we own, if our life's value is measured only by our financial gain, then we must have more, whatever the cost. Time, energy, even our integrity, it doesn't matter. We need more. If you attach your self-worth to your money, you'll never have enough of it. It'll never be enough. And there may come a day that you'll be willing to even sell your godliness for some cash. Consider this, that within the structure of Proverbs, the first speech after the very introductory verses, verses 1 through 7, the first speech after the introduction to the book is a warning against greed. So money is given priority of placement in the message of Proverbs. So let me read for you. You will be able to follow along the screen, excuse me. Proverbs 1, verses 8 through 19. This is the first discourse after the introduction to the book. This is what we see. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. I mean, the Proverbs are filled 
with the dangers of having an upside-down view of wealth. When we see wealth as the measurement of our value, we will be consumed by getting more and more. And beloved, hear me again. You are not so cheap to God. You are worth much more than money. Because he paid for sinners, not with a bank transfer, but a bloody cross and an empty tomb. The blood of Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, is the measure of your worth to him. And he gladly purchased us with his blood. The gospel makes a more incredible value judgment on people than money ever could. Do you realize this today? Redemption, the biblical word for buying back. Your redemption price was paid by Christ. Your worth is so much more than what you possess. If you are in Christ, he has purchased you for himself at the cost of himself. And not only have you been purchased by Christ, you are made an heir with him of the riches of heaven that will never pass away, that will never fade, that will never lose their standing due to inflation or rising gas prices. No, the riches of heaven make the billions of earth look silly because the poorest Christian on earth and the wealthiest Christian on earth will share the same unending riches of God in heaven no matter what they did or did not have here. Because the greatest Christian and the least Christian get Jesus. We get him. There is no treasure greater. So if money is not our value measuring tool, our value measure, we must see it for what it is. It is a tool. But a tool for what? Well, the Proverbs present money as a servant for good ends. Money is used to serve good ends. Never a master we bow to. You see, when money becomes our master, as we've kind of seen all over, we're prone to do whatever is necessary to secure more of it, and we often find that in securing it, it slips more easily from our grasp. Listen to Proverbs 23, verses 4 through 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. Think of the picture there. The sage wants us to see that wealth, while a good gift from the Lord, cannot be our only pursuit in this life because it can be so easily lost. Shifting markets, unexpected difficulties, or in the case of the time period of the Proverbs, years of drought could empty someone's wealth in short order. The transience of wealth reveals how fickle a master it can be to us, which is why we worship God, not money, because our God never shifts. He never flees from us. He never leaves nor forsakes us. He never abandons us. If our eyes are fixed on money, we'll see it disappear, the sage says. But if our eyes are fixed on the Lord, come what may financially, we rest secure in Him. Money is a tool God gives us, not a master we bow to. It's a tool He gives us to encourage good work. Think about how we earn or receive money. 
For most of our lives, it will be a result of work that we pursue. So listen to Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. It's not wrong to work to earn income. The Bible condones that. But that income we earn serves to meet the needs that we have in this world, but also beyond that. The Bible does not shy away from encouraging work to earn money. In fact, the scriptures encourage diligent labor. We just saw that to provide for the needs and presents money as a good tool for meeting our practical needs. There is a God-given satisfaction that comes from a paycheck that is deserved because of hard work. Yet, the Bible also speaks not of working to gain money quickly in an instant. Rather, the Bible speaks of building financial standing Slowly. Listen to Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. The Bible promotes working diligently to earn financial stability. And it presents this ongoing day-to-day trust in the Lord, working and earning money, as preferable and better than receiving money in an instant or hastily because it goes away quickly. And that truth, friends, is that truth not played out constantly in front of our eyes? From get-rich-quick Ponzi schemes to celebrities and wealthy sports stars who just as quick as they attain money, lose it through frivolous spending and bad investments. The biblical picture is that Earning increase and increasing one's financial stability over time allows you to grow in maturity commensurate with your financial growth. Making money over time, again, shows us that it's a tool for encouraging our ongoing labor, our ongoing work. Because, Lord willing, as we'll see next week, laziness is sinful and denies God. And one danger of wealth gained hastily is that it causes the heart to become lazy rather than diligent. Money is a tool to encourage good work. Yet, more than anything else in the Proverbs, we see this reality. Money is a tool for blessing others. The Proverbs are not bashful about the use of money as a tool to serve others. The Proverbs do this through two avenues. One, avoiding unnecessary debt, and two, being overly generous. So two warnings from the Proverbs about accumulating debt, both from Proverbs chapter 22. First verse 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. And then verses 26 and 27, be not one who, of those who gives pledges, who puts up secure, put up security for debts, if you have nothing with which to pay. Why should your bed be taken from under you? What a vivid picture and an accurate one. To accumulate unnecessary debt is to become a functional slave of another. And that, did you notice, it's not even stated as an instruction, but as a reality. If you've ever borrowed money for a car or home or appliance, you know that in the signing of the contract, you are guaranteeing to pay money for as long as the contract exists or is fulfilled. 
And many times you guarantee to pay more than the cost of the item because you're paying to borrow the money as well. Now, this has led some Christians to equate all debt with sin or irresponsibility. Certainly we can agree that foolish purchases, exorbitant credit card bills, or leveraging assets to become to secure more than what you need can be irresponsible and yes, at times sinful. Yet, while the Proverbs discourage debt, they do not condemn debts out of hand. Rather, the wisdom that we must have is that any debt we enter into is one that we can conceivably pay. Debts accumulated for things we do not need or that that will tax us to the very limits of our checkbook are foolish and can be devastating. But the, the root issue of the warnings against debt in Proverbs is not just don't outpace what you make. But rather this, debt removes our ability to use what we have to bless others, which is a clear priority of one who is wise with their money. That's that second avenue, using money as a tool to serve others. It's being overly generous. Listen to these four Proverbs. 11.25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. 14.21, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. 14.31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. In chapter 19, verse 17, listen to this. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Beloved, there were so many of these I just did a sampling, just four samples. That Proverbs is filled with showing us the wisdom of being overly generous with what the Lord has given us. Consider that last Proverbs. Generosity to the poor is actually a gift to the Lord. Remember what we saw earlier, that the the poor and the rich are no different in God's eyes because, because we are all made in the image of God. This reinforces that reality with the blessing the Lord offers for being generous. Why do you think that is? Why does generosity lay so heavy on the mind of the sage when it comes to financial wisdom? Because when we're generous, we look like our Heavenly Father. Remember what we've learned. There is no financial gain that you've ever made that was not entrusted to you by God. Who gave you the energy and the diligence to earn income? So that when you take that blessing and use it to be generous to others, you resemble the God who made you and called you to Himself. It is not foolish to be generous, it's godly. And don't get caught by the trap of the prosperity preachers who would have you catch that second part of the verse and make it a promise. He will repay you. That being generous to others is not a a means to get earthly wealth back from God. The repaying of God is never narrowed to some simple financial ROI, return on investment from him. No, it may be this. It may be that the blessing and repayment you receive from the Lord is the freedom you receive from giving away money that your heart is attached to. When you give it away freely, 
joyfully untangling the chains of greed that grip your heart, the Lord is repaying you in goodness and godliness. We are generous, beloved, not because our reward is here on earth, but because our reward is in heaven with the Lord. And we have this reward of extending his love to our fellow many when we are open-handed with our money rather than tight-fisted. Money is not the measure of your worth. It's a tool for you to display the wisdom of God in your diligent work. It's a tool for displaying the love of God in your generosity towards others. It's a tool for your growth in godliness as you provide for your family and give generously to others because in all of these things, we see the message of the gospel on display. We see it in redemption's design. God accomplished the work of your redemption in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ, who left his father's throne, took on the form of the servant and labored under the law of God to redeem and purchase those who could not satisfy the law's demand. Jesus earned, or his earned wage was heaven. And yet in unfathomable generosity, he takes on the debt that we could not pay in his death on the cross in our place so that we could receive what we cannot buy through his generous gift of his righteousness. And if that isn't enough, we have been guaranteed the unsearchable riches of Christ as our guarantee with him in heaven. So the way that we think about and use our money on this side of heaven is an opportunity to display the character of our God. It's a way to train our hearts and minds and checkbooks to remember the gospel in everyday commerce. The money we receive for work is an opportunity the Lord gives us to return and worship to him. He gave us the means to labor and earn. And consider this, church, the kindness of God who takes our normal everyday resources and transforms them into a means of satisfying our hearts in him and glorying in his wondrous goodness towards us. So let's look to Christ. Set our affections upon him. When we receive even a penny from God, let us turn and praise him as the source of every good blessing. And let us be about the business of displaying the generous character of God and how we use what he gives to the glory and praise of his name, believing that in doing so, there is great reward. Let's pray.